Welcome to another episode of the Providence Friarcast, presented, presented by, by PCBB, 1917.com. Your home for Providence College basketball news, notes, and opinions. Now here's the founder of PCBB, 1917.com, and your host, Mike Hopkins. about a split on the road not happy with our last performance but you know looking back anytime you can get one road win and you start the year off on the road pretty excited about coming back home We're back for a first 2018 edition of the Providence Friarcast. Providence went 1-1 one one to finish out 2017 with a loss at Creighton after their surprising victory at St. John's. Friars are 1-1 one one in Big East play. I'm joined again by Chris and Brendan. Here we are for uh, for a 2018 that, I don't know, is it is it more hopeful, less hopeful? I don't know where you think about Kyron Cartwright's ankle, but uh, certainly... Some some big opportunities now returning home after their starting road trip. They'll have Marquette on Wednesday night at the Dunkin' Donuts Center at 6.30 on CBS Sports Network, followed by a big uh, resume opportunity on Saturday at 12 o'clock, an early tip at the dunk against number 5 Xavier, who appears to be handling Butler as we're recording this right now. So let's start uh let's start with Brendan here. Uh Brendan, give me your just your top line good good thoughts, positive thoughts, and then some some of the negative thoughts from Providence's one-on-one start to Big East play. If you're a PC fan, you have to be optimistic about coming home to the Dunkin' Donuts Center, one-on-one. When you compare it to last year, they started 0-2, getting blown out on the road at Xavier, then on New Year's Day at Butler. You know, Whatever would happen on Sunday against Creighton, I thought going in, at least it was more the lines of gravy because you took care of business on uh, last Thursday night at St. John's. And Kyron Cartwright played. He was healthy. He was efficient. He dominated the uh, the tempo. Witnessed by what twenty five, twenty one points, fifteen assists. He looked like you know maybe the best point guard in the Big East. And then all of a sudden on Sunday comes, he re-injures his uh, ankle. That's been really bothering him, as Ed Cooley said it during Tuesday's media availability for the last month and a half. And he goes down, and so all of a sudden the offense falls totally flat. And you see what happens. You know, PC's rhythm just goes away. The the tempo gets pr- progressively flat as the game goes on. And Creighton, credit to them, they finally beat PC on their home floor, something that hadn't happened since uh, Doug McDermott went off for like 45 on senior night, I think, in 2014. So, but coming back one-on-one, you have to be pretty pleased. The only thing that, uh, you know, concerns me is uh, a certain ankle to a certain point guard. Yeah, that's got to be a pretty big concern for everyone. But like you said, I it, it'd be tough to not look at this as a glass half full kind of mentality coming back one and one. Uh, you know, Creighton's a tough team, and I didn't have the most positive outlook on that game going in. So the fact that they could steal one in you know pretty solid fashion against St. John's on the road, not even at the Garden uh, at Carneseca, so I think that was a big win. Uh, so the fact that you can return home one and one is is a pretty great pretty great thing. Uh, in terms of negatives against Creighton, you know, like you said, the 
offense fell a little flat, and we were talking about it a little bit before, but the big men between Nate and Khalif Young just kind of continue to drive me nuts personally. Maybe that's a personal problem, maybe not, but the fact that Nate Watson played great, you know, 20 points, 20 minutes, but he had one rebound. You know, you can't have your starting big man have one rebound in 20 minutes of play, and Khalif Young himself had two. So between the two front court guys, you get three boards. That's just not really going to cut it. And granted, Creighton has some pretty mobile big men and guys like Martin Crompool and stuff who can really, you know, play a pretty athletic stretch style game. So that is tough because Khalif Young and Nate Watson are stay at home guys. But, you know, at some point they're going to have to start contributing to the rebounds. You can't rely on Rodney Bullock and Alpha Diallo to, to lead you in, in on the glass every game. So that's kind of where I'm at right now. Yeah, and it's almost understandable a little bit uh, against like a St. John's when they played zone for much of that game. The rebounding right. is going to be a little spread out, and frankly, the rebound didn't look great. I think the fact that Providence shot the ball, it's, it's amazing what happens. You look at the game Thursday versus Sunday. Ed Cooley talked Sunday after the game. He said, well, you know, we had six or seven open shots. We just didn't make them. It's amazing. They went, I think, three of 23 from three-point range. It's amazing what happens when you make shots and then when you don't make shots. You look better and then you look worse, and it's really... When you look at the actual game, the rest of it, against St. John's, I, I, I didn't think they played. Fin- I mean, I, I really thought that St. John's kind of, obviously losing Samori Ponce for the last 10 minutes or so of that game with a knee injury hurt them a lot. But Providence was up big by that point. But it's just, it seemed like Providence couldn't miss. They couldn't do anything wrong, despite the fact that St. John's did have quite a few open looks themselves, which they made a bunch of those in the first half, St. John's. But then the second half, they really didn't, uh, especially with Ponce out. So, that for me, that's that's sort of the the rebounding is is still a negative. Uh, I know Brendan, you wrote about this I think last week about uh, Isaiah Jackson that Providence needs more of the good Isaiah Jackson, not the bad Isaiah Jackson. He wasn't really needed against St. John's, so his numbers didn't look great. But they again they kind of were up big that whole game, and and he did provide some good minutes on defense I thought uh, against St. John's, but uh, against Creighton zero points, zero for four in fifteen minutes. I mean that's. That's not going to get it done uh, for for a player who, at this point, is probably a little more important than we thought he might be, considering the injury to Cartwright and how slowly Micaiah Lankford has been been brought along. You, you know, he's a freshman, so I, I don't, uh, people who have these expectations. I, I thought one interesting. I, I, don't, I wish I could pull it up now, but uh, you know, people going back and forth. I finally read some of the message boards today. I haven't been on in about a week, and I'm looking at stuff and. There's all these different. There's two different threads about Ashton Lankford. One about how good he's playing, and one about how bad he's playing. And it's unbelievable some of the opinions people have. And I thought Craig Layton coming in with uh, some good perspective gave some some stats of Chris Dunn, Bryce Cotton, and I think somebody else who their freshman year their numbers were all pretty abysmal. Um, so you know it's 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 kind of mind boggling. But you know he had, he was billed as a top forty kid. He's not really playing like a top 40 recruit right now, but I don't know that it's fair to expect him to be this big player, especially when you have Kyron Cartwright, but the, the ankle injury has been a problem there. Um, just one other thing, um, uh, kind of a negative, it's not necessarily a negative overall, but it's just an observation. Uh, Jalen Lindsay is just all or nothing. I mean, really, 6 of 10 from 3 against St. John's is great. Um, and I think we were all happy to see him shoot that much, and he did take 8 shots against Creighton, which is still pretty good. He went but he went. Uh, he took seven of his eight were threes, and he went two of seven from three. So um, you can't really. Ha- and, and it's funny. I was looking at Ken Palm today, and he has um, 
kind of the the distribution of uh, underneath at the bottom of the page is like he he delineates players into different categories where you're like a significant contributor you you know like going down the list and Jalen Lindsay is listed at the bottom as a nearly invisible is what it says which is odd because he plays a lot of minutes uh so it just goes to show if if he's not making threes he's not necessarily contributing on offense uh certainly not going to go to the rack at any at any particular time um, but I, I don't know, Chris, what, what are your, what are your thoughts about kind of all that, everything I just said, you can take anything there, but there, there's a lot, but yeah. it's just a lot of, yeah, lot of I, things that have been bothering me. I'm happy you pointed out the Ken Palm thing. I, I noticed that too. Um, you know, you have Malik White who has been out for the last couple of weeks with an injury and he's listed in Ken Palm as a limited role when Jalen's nearly invisible. Like that shouldn't be the case. And I think it kind of goes back to what we talked about a little bit earlier in the season towards the end of the non-conference schedule where, you know, at times he, he's pretty reliant on getting his attempts in transition, which is great because they do pop up. But at some point you're going to have to run, you know, some ball screens off of him to try and get him more attempts in a half-court set. Because um, like he's not going to cut to the hoop. He's not going to even put the ball on the floor. That's just not his game. And he's far enough along here where you just kind of got to accept that. You're not going to change him. That's just who he is. Um, so. You know, they're going to have to, if they really want to continue to get him plenty of attempts in a in a game that's maybe at a slower pace, um, they're going to have to run some screens off of him or something in a half-court set because I agree, that's just been driving me absolutely insane. Um, in terms of the Makai, Ash, and Langford stuff, I mean, yeah, he's a freshman. You can't really expect the world from him. Um, granted, he was a high-valued recruit, and so I get that. But, you know, I think he's done pretty well up to this point with what he's been given. You know, he played 16 minutes the other day. I think he was like two for five. The thing that really makes me, you know, drives me crazy with him is it's from the free throw line. You need a guard like him to be a consistent contributor when he gets to the line, but that really hasn't been the case. But other than that, you know, he's a freshman. He's coming along fine. And, and I'm not really concerned about his progress at all. Like I, I know people are kind of freaking out about that, but really I don't think that's anything to panic about. I, um, I equate what's going on with the uh, Makayash and Langford to maybe what's going on, what had been going on with the two big guys, Khalif Young and Dave Watson. Originally, and this is way before the season began, before we knew about Emmett Holt, that Emmett Holt would have been paired with either one of the, those two young bulls, Khalif Young or Dave Watson. Kind of like maybe we saw Kyron Cartwright and Makayash and Langford. Ash and Langford was going to be the understudy. Maybe play a little bit with uh, Kyron Cartwright, which we've kind of seen through the years with the whole Ed Cooley two-point guard system that he likes to run. All of a sudden, things change. Players get hurt, or in the case of Cartwright, in and out of the lineup, and you're asking freshmen who maybe were asked to play a subservient role to play more minutes and more, you know, at a great... All of a sudden, everything's been accelerated for the, both of them. And question is can both of them keep up keep their heads above water and not get discouraged because they are giving they are big they are getting opportunities to make an impact it's whether they don't get discouraged if the shots don't fall and if their teammates are going to pick them up or not i thought uh you know talking to rodney bullock today about uh Mackay ash and langford he said you know you know they're proud of his progress so far they're going to be positive with him because they also understand if Cartwright is going to continue to be in and out, injured ankle in the middle of the game, hindered, you know, they're going to need him. And it's important to stay positive with him. Funny, we I mean I don't think we've that was the first time that, that Bullock's name even got brought up so far. Um 
I thought he's he's actually played very well, I think, over the last several games. Obviously, he had to kind of be more of a volume shooter scorer the last couple when Diallo and Cartwright were not hurt, uh, were not in the game. But now that they're back, uh, I mean, Cartwright kind of in and out again, but uh, now that at least Diallo has been consistently back, someone else that can score, I think I think Bullock actually has has played pretty well overall. Um, I think he was had fifteen and ten on Sunday, um, but you know I, they're going to need more than Bullock. They're going to need. I mean, I think the the bottom line is that they're already at a disadvantage, like you mentioned, with Holt being out at the beginning of the year, and so they really can't afford to have anyone else, especially Cartwright, and probably the next especially is Diallo. So that basically, for periods of this first, you know, the 2017 part of the season, they've had they've been down three of those guys for stretches, and then maybe one one and a half for stretches. Not to mention Malik White, who I thought was coming into his own a little bit as a a six man scorer off the bench, and I do think he'll be back in a week or two. I know Brendan, you were saying earlier that he looked like he was uh, warming up with the team during uh, during the media availability today, so. Maybe that's a positive, but Ed Cooley did say he doesn't expect White to play at all this week, but I think he'll probably, assuming there are no setbacks, I think he's probably pretty close. I think maybe by the DePaul game, actually, if, uh, you know, maybe that's too risky of a timetable, but he looked pretty good, uh, during the stretching lines today. I mean, take it away, take what you will away from something like that, but, uh, haven't seen that too much, um, activity wise from Malik White recently, so maybe, uh, maybe we'll see him by the DePaul game, realistically. Hopefully, that would be ideal. Yeah. One uh, one thing on on Cartwright, I just wanted to mention, um, that came came in the uh, the the PCBB nineteen seventeen Slack chat last week. Uh, one of the one of the guys, Snoop, did uh, did some some solid stat research. This was all before the Creighton game, I believe. So the stats um, aren't exactly up to date right now, but I think it's interesting to mention at least from a big picture standpoint in the seven games that Cartwright's been healthy, fully healthy. Providence has scored 571 points, given up 477, that's plus 96. In the seven games he was not healthy. They scored 516 and gave up 518 for minus 2. They had 118 assists and 94 turnovers in the healthy games, 91 assists, 97 turnovers when he was hurt or out. And Snoop says, I saved the best for last. In the seven games where Kyron was hurt or out, the Friars are 45 and 137 from three, 32.8%. In the seven games where he's been healthy, they're 63 for 126, 50%. So just just to illustrate kind of what, what we've been talking about with some numbers to show that, and it's obviously clear. I think, Brendan, you mentioned that it was pretty obvious once Cartwright got hurt on Sunday in, in Creighton that they just went kind of off a cliff and, and stalled totally on offense. And so looking ahead a little bit to Marquette, I mean, Cartwright, I'm sure, will play. Uh, just a matter of pain management and how effective he'll be. And, and also, as we were talking before we came on, it'd be nice if he didn't get hurt again. Maybe stop hurting that same left leg. Maybe, you know, it'd be good. But um, I think just just looking ahead to Marquette, they, they have some very good guards, obviously. Marcus Howard is their point guard. They have a bunch of shooters, and I'd be interested, Chris. I don't know what you think. Do you think you're gonna we'll see some zone more than you might expect against a, a good shooting team, just because they have to hide Cartwright's ankle a little bit? Yeah, I, I think they might be forced to. I don't know if that's what they'd want to do, but you know they got to play the situation. And 
And if Kyron's ankle is not totally there, you, you're probably going to have to because Marquette is a guard-heavy team that is ridiculously efficient from the floor. And I don't know if you can afford to have, you know, a, whatever percent he is. And not, you know, if he's not fully healthy, I don't know if you need him playing Marcus Howard or playing Rousey or, Howser, you know, one-on-one. That's just not ideal. Um, so I think, yeah, I think you could see some zone, which um, will be interesting to see if they can shoot Providence out of it because, you know, Marquette has done that in the past to teams. But perimeter defense is going to be extremely important, as it always is against Marquette. Wojo runs a real tight ship, and, and they score the ball at a pretty crazy rate. So I think you could see some zone and, and – Perimeter defense is going to be the main focus here. And uh, hopefully, you know, it sounds pretty simple and uh, and almost a little irrational, but you just got to hope for two or one of those guys to be off. Because if you get Howard and Rousey and Hauser all going on the same night, it can get pretty ugly for their opponents. So we'll see. But, yeah, I think you could see some zone to answer your question. But perimeter defense is going to be the real key tomorrow night. Yeah, so just to continue on that, Perimeter defense important. They have a lot of guards, which also means they don't really have any big guys that are noteworthy, uh, actual large big guys. So uh be interesting to see on offense what Providence opts to do. Do they try to get the ball inside to Nate Watson again a lot? Do they move Bullock to the five and you see Watson kind of sitting more than you might expect? Um, be interesting to see there on the offensive end too because, um, again, Marquette not exactly uh, probably – I mean, I think – Creighton's bigs are similar. I think Hegner is bigger than pretty much anybody in Marquette. Really plays a lot of minutes, yeah. so um, I, it's it's a, a, I think an interesting matchup. Another thing where Ed Cooley's gonna have to make a decision: Does he want to change his lineup to fit his opponent, or does he want his opponent to change their lineup to fit his lineup? And uh, I guess really it's gonna come down to I think probably more so the defensive matchup than the offensive matchup, as long as Kyron's playing. Because if he's not playing, then you have to just focus on how many shots can we get Bullock and and can we get Lindsey open in a pick and roll because they're gonna, they really are just going to need to outscore Marquette, which is not a place you want to be. Uh, Brendan, I don't know, any thoughts from you on the Marquette? Well, my, my, well, you haven't talked about Alpha Diallo, who came back, I believe, also in the St. John's game. And for the most part, I think he's looked pretty efficient maybe knocking off the rust a little bit. I mean, he's kind of that, maybe that forgotten third wheel a little bit behind uh, Cartwright and uh, Bullock. And, you know, if Cartwright is still hindered, he, those, there's going to be shots in his direction as well. And since this is a guard-oriented Marquette team, it kind of, the opportunity is there for Alpha Diallo to make a statement both defensively and offensively, I think. Yeah, I think that's that's fair. And, and I think Diallo is one of those guys that he's so quiet and I mean, he, he, he's able to produce, but he's almost able to do it under the radar in a way. And I think it's different than Bullock under the radar where he kind of disappears. I think Diallo just kind of, and also I think his, uh, his defensive ability is, is vastly needed on this team. Cause I, I don't know that Lindsay's been as, as much of a lockdown defender. Um, Diallo put on a little extra muscle this off season after his freshman year. So I think that'll help. Um, but it's, you know, Diallo, I think is probably, like I said before, the biggest key besides Cartwright and Bullock in terms of Providence, Providence's success. Um, and, and, but I think in, one interesting guy to, to watch in the Marquette game will be Isaiah Jackson because 
his physicality, I think, could be something that Marquette's guards don't really like to deal with. And uh, he certainly was very physical against St. John's when he was in the game, doing a lot of, uh, even just in the zone, just kind of extending a little bit. So uh, Jackson could be an interesting player. I think Diallo probably has to score 15 or more uh, if Providence is going to win. Uh, but it, it, the tempo of the game and and everything will be dictated by whether or not Kyron Cartwright's healthy. I think that's sort of where we've beat the dead horse on that now. Um, but it's just going to come down to whether or not Cartwright is healthy and if he can run the offense the way that Akuli wants to, it to be run. Otherwise, you kind of have to scrap everything and you just have to hope that you don't run into a really hot night for Marquette because, I mean, I think that uh, we were talking before, I think the crowd be pretty good. Uh, they've been pretty aggressively marketing all kinds of sales and, and ticket packages and the student section tickets and all kinds. Of, I get like an email every five minutes from the ticket office, but I think uh, I think it should be a good opportunity uh, for the Big East opener. They should have a good crowd, and and just we don't have to look ahead right now to Saturday, but Saturday I think we were talking before we came on. I think this this next game against Marquette is pretty close to a must-win in the sense that I don't know that they're going to really be able to beat Xavier on Saturday, pending everyone's health, obviously. But Xavier just now finished off Butler 86-79. Uh, they're at Cintas. So they're 15-1. They're going to come in uh, five in, uh, uh, number five in the country. So not often you get a top-five opponent at the dunk, especially on a Saturday at 12 p.m. So uh, I think they really need this game against Marquette. Uh, because it, it, Saturday could be a little bit tricky in terms of expecting a win. They're probably going to be a, a home a home dog. So, yeah, that, I think that's I, I think what you pointed out also about Isaiah um, on the defensive end tomorrow night is going to be important. You know, like Brendan said, you gotta you gotta hope for the good Isaiah. And tomorrow night they're really going to need him if he could be aggressive and kind of add some length to the zone. If they were to go that direction tomorrow night against Marquette, I think that's going to be crucial because his physicality, like you said, could really mess with. Uh, really mess with some of their guards who, you know, Marquette runs as those guards run. Um, and yeah, I, I think a must win is probably a pretty accurate thing. Otherwise you're going to be looking at an 0-2 uh, homestand, you know, pending an upset on Saturday. You never really know, but um, ideally the crowd will, will help out PC tomorrow night because they're going to need it. Uh, you know, Marquette's a good opponent. It's one of the earlier starts. I think it's a 6:30 start tomorrow night, actually, which is tough in the early going. Sometimes people are still filing in from work, but you're going to need the crowd tomorrow night to really be a difference maker and give the Friars a home court advantage. And uh, ideally, they could squeak one out against a pretty efficient and, and solid Marquette team going into going into Xavier, uh, welcoming Xavier, excuse me, on Saturday. Um, you know, keeping that in mind, guys, talking about Isaiah Jackson, do you think that the Friars are better off tomorrow night starting Isaiah over Nate Watson? And I say this because... Defensive rotations are going to be so key, obviously, in the zone, guarding a, a guard-oriented team. Do you think, you know, Ed Cooley has said it, that he loves Rodney Bullock at the five, and given Rodney Bullock is a better rebounder right now than the much taller and heavier Dave Watson, is they, are they better off going with that kind of maybe sort of small ball lineup in order to, you know, for switching purposes against Marquette? Yeah, for defensive purposes, I think I think you got to. I mean, like you said, the ro those rotations have to be so tight against a quick team like Marquette who can shoot the hell out of the ball. So, you know, I think solely for defensive purposes, 
you have to do that. And he can add a little length and, and, you know, Nate has played well. Uh, but so it's not really a knock on him. It's more of what Isaiah can bring that he really can't. Um, and you know, he's not doing much on the glass, so you're not using him as a, you know, as an advantageous player grabbing rebounds and stuff. So in terms of defense, I think you really need Isaiah to be a difference maker and you can always make an adjustment mid game if it doesn't work out. But I, I agree. Yeah. I think you got to start Isaiah for, uh, for rotation sake. Having said that, I'd be surprised if that actually happens. Um, yeah, I'm, yeah, I, 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 I don't, would be, I would I don't think it will. I would, I would be surprised too, but just, uh, we talked about before how does Ed Cooley, you know, counter, you know, with the lineup that he might be facing from Marquette or does he make an adjustment that forces, uh, Wojo to do something pretty quickly? Right. Yeah. And I think like the other night against St. John's, they made a concerted effort. And got him the ball inside. He and and even Khalif Young got the ball inside against St. John's and and looked like he knew what he was doing down there for a little bit. So uh, it depends on on what they're what they're going to try to do. Do they want to try to feed the ball inside and and take advantage of their size? Or I think what we'll probably see is they'll start the game like they've been with Watson at the five. But I think you'll see that lineup of Jackson and and Bullock at the five. Probably the majority of the minutes, uh, probably more than 20 of the 40 minutes, you'll see that lineup, just my guess. And I think that's probably what Ed Cooley's just more comfortable with, with right now. We shall see, but uh, I think we're all hedging on Isaiah Jackson playing a pretty pivotal role tomorrow night. I think that's uh, the conclusion we can draw here. Yeah, definitely. I agree. And then looking ahead to Saturday, uh, obviously Xavier, everybody, everybody knows that... Uh, J.P. McCure is everyone's favorite favorite Marquette must uh, the the Xavier Musketeer. He's uh, everyone just loves him. He's fuzzy. He's very friendly. Uh, he's not annoying at all. He doesn't get under anyone's skin. He's never taken his pants off in a bar, as far as I know. <laughs> so, uh, you know, you, you got that aspect. But I mean, Tra- Trayvon Blewett is their is their go to scorer. He's one of the best players in the country. Arguably could be the best player in the Big East. He might win the uh, the Big East uh, most uh, valuable player. Um, you know, it's going to be a tough test. They're number five in the country, as I mentioned before. They just beat Butler uh, Tuesday night at, at Sintas. So they uh, they're going to be looking to looking to come into Providence with their one through one zone and disrupt everything and have JP Mercura just you know gesture to the crowd friendly in friendly friendly ways. And uh, I, I, I'm, a, I'm very concerned about Saturday. Obviously, we'll have to see how healthy Cartwright is and if he can stay healthy and not re-injure himself. But just as it stands right now, uh, I, I think it's going to be very, very tough. I think even Ken Palm, I think, has Xavier winning by three, which Might be generous. Uh, if that's what the line is, I think I would probably, I'd probably hammer the, the three there. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, I don't know, Brendan. What 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 are you looking at to Saturday? What what are your just at your outlook, your thoughts for Providence's chances on Saturday against well, Xavier? I'm looking forward to a big atmosphere. First of all, just you know, talking to I remember talking to people before uh, TC like season ticket office people before the Christmas break, and they said this game was pretty much close to a sellout, and that was before Christmas. And now in the new year, we see Xavier. You know, they they are laying waste to everyone as we speak right now. Top five team. The crowd is going to be so important on Saturday. I wouldn't be surprised if uh, Ed Cooley, like he normally does after games, uh, 
or sorry, start uh, pumping up the crowd in advance of Saturday. Yeah, I can't. I feel like sometimes I want to like plead with people to be loud and stuff, but the, it, it it's unbelievable the difference that a big crowd can make in a game like that. And the dunk in the past has been known as a tough place to play for ranked opponents. So I would hope that even tomorrow night against Marquette, they're going to need a big crowd too. But especially, especially on Saturday, you know that's a tough, tough Xavier team coming in. So. The crowd is going to play a huge factor. It'll be a fun atmosphere. Uh, you know, I'm not feeling totally confident about their chances, but you never know. You got a big crowd, and and it's an early start, so anything can really happen. And yeah, you got figures like JP McCurra. JP McCurra is fun. He's fun to have in the Big East. He, everyone needs a really good villain, and he's been a really good villain for the last two years or so. So you know, it, it wouldn't be nearly as fun without him. So I think it's I think it's awesome that. Uh, that he gets people so riled up. I would love him if he played for PC, but instead I don't. Um, so, yeah, I, I think it'll be a fun atmosphere, but I, I don't like Providence's chances that much on Saturday. No, I don't either, but I, you never know. I mean, it, it's the Big East. Yes. It's a war every night. It's really hard to win on the road. So Providence being at home, that's in their in their back pocket. So, I mean, I, you never say never, um, look at, look at, but we'll see what the line is, and then I'll think about look saying that. Butler the other night, actually. Yeah, yeah exactly. That's right. Yeah. So, and but I, I was just thinking back to the last time Xavier came in as a, I think a top five or top ten team, and they got out to that huge lead, and just the the crowd was really right, rocking, on, and, yeah, mm-hmm. and then just really got got crushed by that early lead. But um, yeah, twelve o'clock. You never know. I mean, that, those games can really go. I mean, especially for the team that has to travel. I would assume that since we're still in break, uh, Xavier. Probably will travel to Providence Friday morning, maybe even Thursday night. Depends on the snow. Yeah, yeah. that's true. They might even want to. They might even want to leave uh, leave tomorrow or something. Yeah, you never know. Sometimes they do adjust their plans in advance of storms like that. So if that's the case, maybe they do want to go tomorrow. I'm not really sure. I guess it all depends. Yeah, but but just looking on the court a little bit, they uh, they present some interesting interesting things that Providence hasn't seen yet. In that, I think they have a, like the most complete complement of front court guys. They have Enos Cantor, who's a little more of like a Matt Stainbrook. He's a little more like a European big guy who can do a little bit of everything. He can shoot the ball. He's kind of a little more crafty. And then Sean O'Hara, who uh, went to Spain this summer with uh, uh, the Larry Brown coached USA East Coast team that Drew Edwards and Malik White played on. He's more of that traditional block postman. And then you have Tyreek Jones, who just comes in and just murders rims, and looks like he uh, he could play linebacker. So I think th- there's a lot of different things on the front court to look at. And then obviously we mentioned Blewett, and they got Makura, who can shoot from anywhere. Um, they they have some nice players, and uh, it's there's a reason why they're number five in the country right now. And uh, so so matchup wise on the court, a lot of a lot of difficult matchups. Providence probably have to really. Sh- have a good, really good shooting game Saturday if they want to if they want to get the upset victory. Yeah, I think you're I think you're kind of in the minority of people who look at Xavier and then go towards their front court, but I think that's the right thing to do because you know people hear Xavier and they immediately think Blewett, they think Makura, but their front court can cause so many problems because they're so versatile. Like you said, Cream Canter is like a Euro style kind of stretch, and he's and he's pretty crafty. He doesn't always come off like that, but he's pretty crafty. Tyreek Jones is just a monster underneath and is a rim protector. And Sean O'Mara is a guy who's really come a long way in his four years. You know, he's 6'10". He's like 240. 
but he's shooting. I saw it tonight during the Butler game. He's shooting like seventy-one percent from the field. He doesn't. Granted, he doesn't get a ton of field goal attempts, but he's averaging like eight a game, and he's and he just does his job. He's a stay-at-home big man, and the fact that they have those three guys to kind of bounce around and and adjust to as opponents come to them is uh, is so so advantageous for them. And I think that's an important thing to look at with Xavier, rather than just focusing on Blewett and uh, Blewett and uh, Bakura. All right, back here in the studio, another episode in the uh, in the can of the Providence Friarcast, and make sure to check out the Patreon page at patreon.com/pcbb1917. And now I want to give a special shout out to some of the higher level patrons, and that's JLD, John Lee Dumas, Mike Evans, my parents, Adam Nagel, Bob Allison, Ron Torvik, Brendan Ryan, Dan Marcus. Joe DeAngelis, Dennis Corbett, Mike Saburn, Ray Penta, Dennis Burns, Alex Simeone, Chris Thurlow, G, Terry Meyer, and Alan Russ. Don't forget to subscribe to the Providence Friarcast on iTunes or wherever you get your podcast. Follow Mike, follow Mike Hopkins on Twitter and Instagram at PCBB1917. Like the Facebook page, and as always, stay classy, Friartown.